Welcome to Deal of the Week, Bloomberg's podcast on the world of mergers and acquisitions. I'm your host, Ed Hammond, filling in this week for Alex Sherman, and I'm joined by Jeff McCracken, Bloomberg's executive editor of Deals. So, Jeff, Monday we finally got to say, and I say that very deliberately because it seemed to drag on forever and ever, that Medivation had been sold. Um, finally. Finally. So just, just to sort of recap quickly, uh, the oncology specialist has been in the news since late March when we first reported that it had received some takeover interest. Since then, every single imaginable twist and turn of the deal has been covered. We've read and in some cases actually written as well about the prospective buyers, about their bids, about their advisors, and actually even about sometimes the advisors that were hired to advise the existing advisors. Story after story has appeared on this. And at some point, there was going to be a deal. We all knew that. But it felt like as we built up to that, there was just more and more and more news coming out. And actually, I looked back through our terminal feed, and there have been something like 1,500 news stories since that thing first broke at the end of March, which is basically 10 a day, every day since then. So I figured this raises an important question about sort of how much reporting is too much reporting on an M&A story. And I want to use this deal to try and explore that issue. Um, now, Jeff, as well as being a sort of deal nut, is also my boss. So you will excuse me if I'm a bit timid with some of these questions. <laughs> so, Jeff, um, why do you think on this particular deal we saw so much reporting? You know, it, it, it's not just this deal. I've been doing this now about seven years, and there's just been an incredible proliferation of more and more outlets that have more and more M&A reporters. And the reason is there is a huge bang for the buck if you're good at it. You know, in the case of Bloomberg, we've added more and more reporters. I've been at Bloomberg now roughly six years, and we used to have maybe three reporters in the United States who did all of the deals coverage and one person in Europe. Now we're looking at globally close to 20 reporters that write about M&A and the equity capital markets and restructuring and private equity and activists. And the reason we've done that is if you can break these deals, especially these multi-billion dollar deals, you're going to see incredible and instantaneous reaction from the market. So a company that's worth $10 billion, they put themselves in play and we break that news, they will go from being a $10 billion market cap company to a $12 billion market cap company. I mean, $2 billion is created out of the air. So every media organization that cares about business news, and that is many media organizations, have added reporters. Whether the Wall Street Journal, which used to have one M&A reporter in the United States, now has three, by and large. And what Bloomberg has done, and what Reuters has done, and the FT has added people. The New York Times has tried to add people. Then you've got places like Deal Reporter and Merger Market and The Deal that are also trying to break news. CNBC and the TV world, Fox Business, I think, tries as well. There's just an incredible number of deal reporters. And in this case, in the case of the Sanofi, Medivation, Pfizer situation, all the healthcare and biotech firms or uh, biotech media outlets were writing about the deal as well. So that adds up to, as you said, 1,500 stories in a five- or six-month period, which is ridiculous. Far more stories than anyone cared to read. So as well as the proliferation in the number of outlets covering M&A and within those outlets, a sort of larger number of reporters doing it, we have this much higher sort of or higher volume of news stories. But do you think there's almost too much going on between the initial story, which, as you say, is sort of the, you know, company A and company B are in talks. It adds some market value. It moves the market. And then when the deal actually gets announced, but in between you have this just huge wash of stories about 
every, as I say, sort of incremental twist and turn. And, and sort of how do you as a news editor make decisions about what is and what isn't worth covering in that? You know, a lot depends on, a lot depends on what you're able to break. So I will take, for example, the Medivation deal or uh, another deal that's still ongoing, which is Bayer Monsanto. We feel good. We felt good about our initial, our ability early on to break the deal. So in the case of Bayer Monsanto, we reported it, I believe you were on the byline in May, that said Bayer is exploring a bid for Monsanto. That is the most important story in our mind until the very end. So that that changes how I view the rest of our coverage. If we're behind, if the journal breaks that instead, as they did in the case of the Praxair Lindy mm -hmm. deal, that makes me feel like, okay, we're behind, we need to show the market, we need to show our bosses, we need to show our readers that we're paying attention. So incremental news along the way, like another banker being hired or a new bid or some development on the termination fee, I will care more about that than I might on a deal like Bayer Monsanto, where I feel like we've written, quote unquote, the most important story or the story I cared most about, which was the initial tip. Um, so it, it, it changes is the best answer I can give you. My, my view of what we should be doing changes depending on the deal. So actually, if we're scooped on something, the, the sort of bar for what constitutes a worthwhile story is slightly almost, lower. Almost lowers. And it, it, but it depends on the size of the deal. You know, that's another thing that influences our coverage. You know, the bigger deals get more attention. Buyer Monsanto deal, which is a $50 billion plus situation if it comes to fruition, that's going to get a lot more global interest from Bloomberg and it would, I'm assuming, at the FT where you used to work mm -hmm. or at the journal where I used to work. You know, you'll care more about these big global deals because regulators will care. There are more employees that care. There are probably more institutional investors and more arbitrage traders, et cetera, that are paying attention to that deal. One thing that I think is a motivating factor for all M&A reporters, and I can speak to some extent to this as a reporter, and certainly you can as someone who's reported and edited M&A, is sort of the competition with our competitors. And, and I guess how do you judge where that line is, where we're sort of, we're actually doing something that's serving a real public interest or writing something our readers really care about, or just kind of point scoring against whether it's the journal, whether it's Reuters, whether it's the FT or, or someone else? You know, that's a good question. It's easy to just try to score points. You know, in the in the case of Bloomberg, when we write a story and the shares pop, you know, we we get a little credit, if you will, internally of, hey, it's a green bee. It's something that we should note. Um, we could write green bee stories literally every hour of every day with a development on a, on a deal. We don't do that. We write the stories we think are useful if I'm a reader. You know, in the case of uh, Bayer Monsanto, there, sometimes it's gone a week, maybe two weeks without an update on where things stand. And so, in that instance, when we get the sense from talking to our sources, talking to people around the deal, if we get the sense that something's changed, um, they're having conversations about, they're making progress on price, or the CEOs are meeting in a way they hadn't met, uh, they've started conducting due diligence. We feel like, you know, that's incremental, but it's such a big deal, and it's been such a long time, you know, days or weeks since someone's really updated it, it's worth writing. And that's what happened with our, we wrote on um, Monday evening about Bayer Monsanto, just about the fact they're making progress. The CEOs have been having a lot of meetings. They're they're coming to terms, they're getting closer to coming to terms on price, on a termination fee, other key matters. And, and we did that again because there had been a long time since anything had been written by Bloomberg or others. So in a way, that's actually the, the sort of the converse of what was going on with Medivation, where there had been a sort of paucity of news for a while. So it was worth, even though the story was 
perhaps incremental it was worth reporting because it was it had been a while when there'd been nothing exactly said. medivation had as i recall so obviously pfizer won medivation at 14 billion dollars mm -hmm. sanofi kicked it all off back when it was trading i think between five and six billion dollars yep. then you had other companies like merck and Celgene and was Gilead also part of that one? Rumored. S yeah, rumored. So you had a bunch of different names and a bunch of different, whether we're talking about PR firms or law firms or banks or advisors who were around it. So each one of them could talk about the deal. And that makes it easier if you are trying to advance the ball, however incrementally, that makes it easier to break the news. Buyer Monsanto, you only have two parties. So there are just fewer advisors, fewer people that are willing to talk about the deal. Now, with this this sort of growth in the number of people and the number of outlets covering M&A, obviously we, as reporters in the beat, see many, many more stories cross the wires. And sometimes we're sort of, you know, irked because it's something we wanted to report. Other times we say, well, that's not important. Um, to what extent do you think what our competitors are doing and what they're choosing to cover affects our own decision making and how we might cover a deal? That's a good question. I think that you, what we do, I think mentally here at Bloomberg, and, and I believe others do the same, is you tier, if you will, your competitors. So at Bloomberg, we look out and we say, if the Wall Street Journal is reporting it, or CNBC is reporting it, or the New York Times is reporting it, or the Financial Times are reporting it, it's almost certainly true. It is, you know, 99.9% .9 accurate. None of us are perfect. We all could pretend we are, but we all will get things incorrect. Um, when those guys are reporting it, you know, we we have to assess, should we be chasing this? Is this something we miss? Is this something we need to be on top of? And again, I mentioned the Praxair Linda deal with the um, Wall Street Journal broke. We had to chase that, and that was something they had. They clearly beat everybody on it. Um, and then, you know, you've got, you've got places like Reuters, who I, we also chase what Reuters reports, but we feel like, I don't know how to, how to, how to actually say it, but they're just slightly less, um, in terms of breaking news, I see them slightly less relevant than the Journal uh, or, or the New York Times or the FT. And then you've got other places, as I mentioned earlier, like Merger Market and Deal Reporter, where I think it's hit or miss. Sometimes they'll break something and they'll be spot on. They had some good stories, I believe, early on. Um, I think it was Deal Reporter on Metivation, just in fact that there, there, there was some interest out there. Because often what happens is the hedge funds and the arbitrage community will pick up on things, and then they make their bets, if you will. Then they call a reporter, hoping that story can get out, because then they can sell off and make their money quickly. Mm. The world of mystery men, as it were. The world of mystery men, if you will. But there are a lot of mystery men out there who are who are uh, handing out or trying to hand out alleged scoops. And they come in and, you know, we often go back and forth on whether we should publish this or not, publish the story or not, and whether there's, you know, sourcing that supports it. There are other outlets out there, and I don't want to point fingers, but there are other outlets that will get that call from a hedge fund or an arbitrage trader, and they will write hey, I am hearing this rumor. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's true. I, as often as not, it's false. But uh, that gets it out there. It gets out into the bloodstream, if you will, and it gets picked up and investors see it and you see the shares rising. Um, I'm, I'm sure you've had that, that circumstance where you're out at lunch or something and you look and some company's shares that you care a lot about are up 8 10 15% on something that seems you don't think it's true, but there's no way to prove it or disprove it you know, for a while. And often Twitter is the culprit. Mm-hmm. We, we talked a lot in this discussion, I guess, about sort of share price movements and about the impact M&A stories can have on the share price of a company or on the stock market more generally. 
is there an example or could you think of a time when you had a story and you knew that it would be market moving um, but you decided actually we're not going to write this because it's either not relevant enough or it's somehow too incremental or it's just you know it's going to have an impact on the market but it's sort of creating a false picture of what's really going on here yeah i mean i think in the case of metivation let, let's stay with more recent deals in the case of metivation we had picked on other names and then we reported obviously initially uh, that they had hired banks at Medivation. We reported, I think, on the first rejection of the bid from Sanofi. We reported other developments along the way. I think we even threw stories out there about names of um, of Pfizer and Celgene, et cetera. But it got to a point, you know, probably a month or two ago, where we just thought enough is enough. You know, it's we didn't do the the, the quite the count that you did with the fifteen hundred something stories. But you look back and you're like, this has been written about every day, seven times a day, by various outlets. The fact that Merck was in there, I guess it's interesting. It says something about Merck and how they viewed the world, but we just didn't feel like they were likely to win, and I didn't feel like it, it was really worth our time or our effort. You know, there are only so many reporters, even though our, even though Bloomberg staff has grown, you've only got so much, only so many hours each day. I don't want you to spend time on something that just feels incremental or a phrase I often use is sub-incremental, mm. and it's like, why bother? Even if it's going to, you know, move the shares five percent, I'm just not sure it really does anything or adds that much value to to our audience. It's sort of just noise without responsibility. That's a good way of putting it. Um, well, that sort of answers my next question, but I would nonetheless like you to have a stab at it, which is, you know, is there a point uh, when a when a deal is kind of being overcovered and we just step back and we say, you know what, we're going to just leave it until we can report the one important story on this? Sometimes, sometimes we'll we'll do that. I think. It, it all depends. You know, if you as a reporter, let's say it's a company or a situation you care a lot about, but you've got a bunch of other things you're also chasing, you know, that also plays into the rationale. And I'm generally deferential to the reporters. Do they want to write more about it? Do they prefer just to leave it alone? You know, a, a more recent deal, roughly a month or so ago, Yahoo got announced. And we, we, I have I have no idea how many stories we wrote. It might have been a hundred about the Yahoo sales process. And Alex Sherman, who's normally hosting, wrote ninety nine percent of them. And it got to a point where I feel like Alex was just exhausted and didn't want to write anymore. And we said internally, let's just leave this alone. You know, we've written we've written every incremental thing along the way, unless we feel like we have to, unless we feel like this helps us with a source. Let's just wait until the final until the final piece. That, you know, we know who wins. And we, thankfully, that worked out for us. Alex got it, and we were able to break the fact that Verizon won. Um, I think he wrote, you know, early on that Verizon was in the lead, like the day or two before it got announced. And then a day later, he was able to, you know, also break, you know, they've won. So we held off on that quite a bit because there were a lot of developments and twists and turns along the way that were interesting, but just not quite worth a story, not quite worth a headline. And I guess when you have that volume of news as well, you're actually slightly uh, shortchanging the reader because unless they're a very, very sophisticated or very interested reader, they're not going to know what's important and what's not, and they get kind of overwhelmed with the flow. Exactly. You know, we and the Wall Street Journal and Reuters and the New York Times and I believe the FT even wrote story after story after story about Yahoo. And you get into a point where it's like, okay, they wrote something Tuesday. Do we need to write something Wednesday? Okay, we write something Wednesday. Will they come back on Thursday? Or it even gets more, you get even get smaller elements like you'll write Wednesday at noon at Wednesday at two o'clock. They've got a story out. All right, do I need to respond to that? And thankfully, we I think I feel like we generally speaking made the right call on Yahoo, which was to just pull back and not cover every twist and turn. 
So much for the quiet August. So that takes us just about to the end of this episode for this week. Um, you can expect more Bloomberg reporters and M&A professionals who are doing deals in real time in the next few weeks. Uh, and until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal and at Bloomberg.com, as well as on iTunes, Google Play, or on any app that you can listen to podcasts. And take a minute to rate and review the show while you're there. You can also follow Jeff um, on Twitter. He is at JC McCracken, or you can follow me at Ed Hammond NY, or for a more European bent, you can follow our European MA editor at AK underscore MNA. Thanks again for listening. 